Blog Talk Radio. Hey guys, Richard Diaz here. Got a great show for you today. Did an interview with Yancey Culp, recognized as one of the leading elite Spartan coaches in the country, working with most of the pros. And I want to remind you also, you can find us at www.naturalrunningnetwork.com. You want to subscribe there simply because there's a lot of content that you can't get if you just listen to us on iTunes. So be sure that you get out there and log on and become a subscriber to the show. Let's go ahead and share the show with you right now. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. I am with Yancey Culp, who is known as one of the premier OCR racing coaches in the country. And he's got a lot of other great stuff he's doing as a trainer and and a coach and uh, working with his wife in nutrition down in Texas, very near Austin. We've kind of bounced around each other a few times, and I had been looking forward to an opportunity to get him on the show and talk to him, talk shop a little bit. Let's say hello to everybody, Yancey. How you guys doing out there in the Internet world? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny, you know, the Internet world. Just kind of a interesting dynamic, you know. Yep. 10, 15 years ago, the thought of reaching out to people all over the world was not even on my radar. No, I know exactly where you're where you're coming from. Sometimes we have to plan a little disconnect from it all. It is it, it it's a blessing to be able to to communicate with so many people when you do it what we do. Um but it's also healthy to kinda of unplug periodically and um just kinda of get away from it all and give back to uh to old school. But uh no, it is it is great to be able to connect with so many people so easily. You know what's really interesting, Yancey, in my business very, very few people in my community do business with me. This is after having spent, I don't know, 15 years owning health clubs in this town. Uh-huh. Uh, my business comes from everywhere else, and it's just, I don't understand it. I, I just don't understand it. I have athletes that travel far and wide to come and see me for the services I provide, but very, very few people within my town. Interesting. I I got my start doing all local stuff and you know not being a real tech savvy guy i've I've got a i've got a lady that that takes she just takes care a lot of the stuff for me organizes my websites and builds that kind of stuff and uh so i've I've finally been able to kind of get out of my comfort zone with that and 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 do more of what you're doing um the last couple years doing a lot of online training and um which would be very hard to do with obviously with without our our, our technology. 
one of my one of my heroes, my all time heroes, is uh, Arthur Lydiard, who was just uh, just amazing what what he accomplished. And he was training people all over the world back when it was handwriting programs and mailing them to people and that kind of communication. So he was uh, he was he was darn sure a trailblazer many years ago. Yeah, and you know I got to tell you, this name comes up a lot when I do shows, especially when I'm speaking with coaches. And you're you're right. He was absolutely a, a trailblazer back in the day, and and he established some foundations in training principles that are difficult to refute. But he didn't have the technology that we have today, and with the technology that we have today, it's a more interesting dynamic than it ever has been. It does allow us to do the kind of work we do at a distance, which we would not have been able to do successfully with the absence of it. So, for example, doing video analysis of people's running gait, things like this. You know, As a matter of fact, as soon as I get off the phone with you, I have to go through and do some video edits on an athlete that I'm working with that lives, I believe he's new, I think he's in Kentucky. I will essentially know him through video. I can see what he does, how he moves, where his flaws are, what kind of things we need to correct. And I would have never been able to do that, you know, 15 years ago. It's coming from from my side of that is, you know, I I program for people that that I've never met in person. And with obstacle course racing, we find ourselves traveling around and somebody will come up to me and and they know me and I've never met them. And it's always kind of an awkward 10 to 15 seconds. And it's like, oh, wow, I've been programming you for a year (laughs) and I finally meet you in person. It's it's. It really is a very neat uh, dynamic when that when that happens. That normally ends up like an hour long conversation at the at the race site. But um, yeah, it's it's pretty neat to to be able to do that. It is. So while we're on the subject of obstacle racing, there's so much to talk about. I'll share with you that for me, the sport came up uh, late in my career. Twenty years ago, I'd have been all up in the mud. But you know, I'm over sixty years old, and I'm just not quite capable of pulling off some of the stunts that I might have done, you know, back in the day. I mean, I suppose people can make the argument that if I got off my ass and just went out there and, you know, put it together, that I could probably do it. But I just don't think I have the gumption for it anymore. I did my last Olympic distance triathlon last year. It, you know, it was tough. I mean, to to try to compete at the level I try to compete at, it was tough. So now I'm a voyeur. I live in this world. I use the analogy of, the Rubik's Cube. I, I have this little box in my hands, and I'm twisting and turning and trying to figure out how to solve the problem. And I do that with athletes, as I'm sure you do, where you, you try to diagnose what is necessary in order to achieve a successful end in these events. What makes that so crazy cool in the sport of obstacle course racing, and and you've seen it now with, with, with you know training Hunter and others, is that take all the sports that have ever existed, you know, and I don't even think this is arguable, but there's never been a sport that combined so much and threw in so many variables and interesting dynamics as a sport of obstacle course racing. There's anybody that says they can, I've got the black and white plan. It's, it's virtually impossible because the, the course could change the, it's like, World Championships is moving from Vermont to Squaw Valley. That alone threw a whole curveball at us. The throw in two or three obstacles that we haven't seen, like one or two specific ones that came in at World Championships last year, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, I didn't spend enough time training for that with my athletes. And so it's such a cool just 
you know, you tr- we're, we're always trying to weigh what should we spend the most time on, you know, what weaknesses should we should we tweak a little bit and this and that and um, that's that's one of the things that makes it so cool. You know, if you and I are training a fifteen hundred meter runner, there's it's just a whole different concept. Well, yeah, the focus is pretty narrow. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly, and that's what's so, you know, even even uh, we have a lot of triathletes coming over, and you know that kind of shook things up back in the eighties. Like, oh wow, we're going to take three sports and combine them. We've got got we've got guys and girls coming in from all kinds of sports, and you know, world class Olympic athletes, and until they spend a a good solid training cycle devoted to obstacle course type training a lot of them get they get their souls crushed at, at first um so it's 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 really it's really fun i mean if you love coaching like you do and i, and I do i can't think of any sport on the planet that that, that that could be more fun than this sport just because there's so many variables it really is interesting I, you know when i first met joe DeSena. And we started kicking all this stuff around, and I met Hunter, and I started to realize the, the, the dynamic of the challenges that he was facing. I came to realize that, wow, this is a pretty interesting problem. As you suggested, in triathlon, there was known processes. We knew how to swim. We knew how to coach swimmers. We knew how to coach a cyclist. We knew how to coach runners. We knew how to develop our aerobic potential. These are pretty relatively known entities in the process of training where there's not really been a script written that makes any sense so far that prepares you to run hard and then dive into a puddle of mud or climb a rope after you're all muddy or climb under some barbed wire. It's really kind of hard to to take those elements and write a script behind it. And I've been wrapping my head around it, and you know, again, it's for me, what gets me up in the morning is trying to solve problems like this. And because, you know, I've got a couple decades of experience in uh, assessing athletes, and I try to come from the inside out. First thing I try to do is I look at the engine, and what what I have to work with leading into whatever processes we're trying to develop, and that sets the stage for it because. You know, at the end of the day, each individual that you work with and I work with are unique. Yeah. And so it, you can't really throw a boilerplate at them and say, here's the way we train these guys. That's right. Yeah, so yeah. I, I like it. I think it's inter- entertaining, and it's, you know, it's yeah. it's been fresh for me. Well, it's, um, when you have, when you could have Hunter and Isaiah at the start line beside Two hundred and forty-five pound guys that run fourteen fifty to fifteen minute five Ks, and it's it's a course that's somewhat flat. Let's say a course that's somewhat flat, and we've got twenty-five obstacles out there, and and there's obviously a lot of running involved on the course, and and, and even some areas where there's some pretty long distance between the obstacles, and you take. And we don't know which one of those four athletes are going to win. And on any given day, Hunter or Isaiah could beat those two, you know, 5K guys that have a fantastic 5K time, maybe one to two, two and a half minutes faster than what their 5K time might be when they first got into the sport. And it's it's because you see, you know, that athlete, you know how it is when you're a strong runner. 
you don't even want to jump on over the top of a, over a pecan that's in the road. There could be a stick in the road, <laughs> and you're clipping along, and you don't even want to step over that stick because anything that gets you outside of that, just riding that threshold, throws you all off whack. Well, you know, so when Hunter and Isaiah attack that obstacle, or or Ryan Atkins, who's a you know a, a very good hybrid athlete, you'll find that athlete recovering quicker from that that really heavy lift that they did or climbing up the mountain with this bag or that bag or whatever they're doing, lifting this Atlas ball and carrying it 20 yards. And where it, where it might take this guy that's a great runner but has never had the type of adaptation that occurs when you do that kind of training, you know, the Hunters and the Isaiahs are, are recovering and getting back into, even though they're a little slower, they're getting back into their comfortable speed quicker. And so it was when I first got into the sport and I was kind of – one of the main reasons I started racing myself is because I knew I wanted to eventually coach and I wanted to dive in and get my hands all over what was going on out there. And I started finding, using myself as an example, you know, my running track in high school and college, you know, my best, my best event was probably the 800 and the mile. So I, you know, I never, you know, I'm about 165 pounds. I never was really built, even when I'm pretty lean. So I never was built to be in a, any, any kind of world-class marathoner. Um, and uh, I found myself doing pretty good, even though, you know, I didn't have the 5K times as, um, as some of these other guys. But you really started seeing this m- interesting mix of different types of, of athletes. Some of them are really true hybrids where they float right in the middle. Some of them really lean towards one side of being an extremely strong runner. And you see guys 190 pounds that can go out and compete with some of these guys, and that's just that's amazing to to a lot of people. Um, it, it is, you know, and, and a lot of that boils down to how did that race director and that course designer, how did they design the course that day? Right. We, we've got these course designers really trying to find this comfortable, this really good balance to where it supports the sport. As, as you and I have seen, with it being such a unique sport, most of the revenue is coming from the masses that can actually go out and race the exact same course on the exact same day with these elites, and that's that's what makes our course, uh, you know, the, the sport so one of the main things that makes the course so, the, the the sport so unique. And um, so you've got to find a balance. You know, if if you make a course where not where ninety percent of the masses can't complete any of the obstacles, we don't have a sport. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, a couple of things you you brought up that um, uh, made me think to say this. A lot of the novice athletes that are absolutely uh, smitten by the sport. I mean, they they just cannot get enough of it. They and they don't have a script. I see them getting themselves into trouble, and I don't know whether you feel this way or not, but I'm going to share this this feeling. You you got back-to-back races in, in a weekend and potentially back-to-back races week after week after week and you're taking them as the schedule provides regardless of whether it was a, a, a periodized process that you have intended for yourself you know you do a long course event one day and then you do a, a sprint the, the next day and then you got the following week it's what whatever's coming at you and and there, a lot of them a lot of these guys that I talk to are pretty ill-prepared uh, they're really kind of running on this guts and glory mentality where they're they just really want it so badly and they don't want to quit and they don't want to give up and they want to get their friends to do it with them and they and it just to me it's almost like lemmings being tossed into the ocean I, it's like 
you got to settle down somewhere along the way and develop a, a a plan where there's a systematic approach to your training and your processes so that, number one, you can continue to enjoy the sport that you love so much and not get injured. I don't know. Do you feel that way or is it just me? 100% agree with you. You know, when, when you're when you're touching as many athletes in the sport as you and I are, are touching the um, – without giving away – all the tricks of the trade, you know, one of the key things is that convincing convincing athletes, because 95% of the work they do is going to be in their workouts, and then, and then, oh, by the way, periodically I'm going to race. Most of them want to, they want to, for lack of better terms, race their workouts and versus slowly allow the adaptation to occur with what it means to to put some miles on your feet and throw some obstacles in there and actually doing some heart rate training and staying in a zone and um, and being patient. You know, being being patient. I'll use uh, April and Isaiah as an as a example from last year. Um, and, and, they're, and most people fall in their category. You know, there's a lot of people coming in this sport, especially the novices, aren't coming from an area where they – they, they've been logging a lot of miles, for example, or, or a lot of time on feet, however, whatever type of trainer that you are. Um, and and j- they want to start out, you know, they hear, well, so-and-so is running 70 miles a week or putting in so many hours a week, and they want to see how fast they can get to that versus slowly letting their body adapt and, and, and paying attention to stuff like you teach, you know, making sure your, your body symmetry is good, your mechanics are good, if you have a few small issues, addressing those issues early on so you're not continuing to, to lead to, big, to bigger problems down the road. You know, you've got a slight hip imbalance, and all of a sudden I've got knee pain and ankle pain that has nothing to do with my knee and my ankles because my, I've got a slight hip issue or I've got some back pain because of that. So, so kind of finding the healthy balance with, with taking care of your body, slowly adjusting to the sport, kind of taking the, you know, the way... Spartan designed it, it was a stair-step process. Get yourself in shape, do a sprint. Work yourself to a beast. I'm sorry, work yourself to a super. Then work yourself to, to a beast. I'll be the first to admit, I did it all backwards. My uh, my third race was an ultra beast. My fourth race was a death race. Completely outside the guardrails. Wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I was coming from a background where I, you know, I, I've been in fitness my, my whole life. But, um, you know, and Spartan's trying to get out ahead of it, somewhat trying to get out ahead of this, and, and they've created the SDX program. Um, but you nailed it. There is, there, on one side, the OCR world has created what I think is one of the largest fitness movements in the history of our planet, and they are ripping people off the couch. Battle Frog, Tough Mudder, Spartan, they all are. Warrior Dash, they've, and they've all done a phenomenal job. I'd rather see people moving than not moving, but... There are tons of uh, there's tons of people out there that are beat up. You know, when I went to SGX training, you know, you learn that the the most common injuries during the race, ankle injuries and shoulder injuries, you know as well as I do. You see what goes on out there. You can see how those two are, are, are pretty dramatic. Even that kind of stuff can be can be prevented with the uh, uh, the right type of training. Um, but I think the thing I've seen the most of is people getting themselves in trouble trying to. Uh, Trying to start getting their aerobic base up way too aggressively, way too fast, logging too much time when they have small issues going on. 
like you said, with their gait and their form and their body symmetry and their mechanics, and just go and trying to jump into 50, 60, 70 miles a week way too early, and it, it takes a lot of time to, to work up those areas. Well, what I what I find, going back to the online business, where, um, well, for example, I, when I went out on the uh, Spartan cruise and I met a lot of folks and um, actually picked up some clients from, from the, the cruise that I had not intended to, but mm-hmm. they were so prepared for me to throw this really bitchin' program at them and I think a lot of them initially became disappointed when they found out that I brought them back down to ground zero, where I, I won't even allow them to talk to me about intensity or volume or even talk to me about heart rate until I can see that they've not mastered but gotten a better handle on the way they move through space. Because if you're moving poorly, then it becomes a function of how long before you get hurt, or whether it be volume or whether it be intensity that takes you out. One of the two is going to happen, or both. So I, I put them through this process of basically – you know, uh, grab the pebble from my hand, grasshopper. When, when you when you get to this place where you show me that you you've developed some fundamental skill sets, then we could start getting entertaining, and then we could start putting on the gas and and doing some things. But you know, and I and I've spent 20 years doing clinical diagnostics on athletes and d- developing heart rate specific programs for them, and I'm not even talking about that. I wrote a book about. it. I said, you know what, I'm going to send you the book, but we're not going to even talk about how intense or how much volume you're going to do until you show me that you can actually run properly. I, you know, I would love to snap my fingers and be able to say that, hey, every single person that I'm doing online training with, you know, has the opportunity to to do that type of analysis with you. What, you know, my my first step is, and, and you, you said it as well, is that I'm going to bring you down some and, and, and yeah, I may be showing you a workout that, that one of my elites is doing. Here's how we can scale it down to where you're doing 25% of that workout to where you're, you, you know, you're just slowly adapting. And I think it's, I think it's really good to go out there and get some tie some shoulder work and some, some strength training in with your running. So, so you start kind of a, a adapting to what you're going to see out there. You know, it's, it's been proven that, you know, when you're when you're extremely exhausted and you jump on those monkey bars, it is night and day difference than going into the gym and hitting the pull up bar. It's um your your body's beat down, everything is exhausted. I think I think uh, you know we're seeing more shoulder injuries, for example, because people are like you said, they're it's their very first race and they're not they're not even coming at it with a with a training program, and they're hitting those monkey bars and they're tired. They're messing their rotator cuffs up and their shoulder joints, and and then they're falling down and t- twisting their ankles. And um, you can, you know, when you get more mobile and you get out there and you start moving, then you can uh, get to where you can work through a course and avoid some of those injuries. But you truly are taking it to a to a next level as far as injury prevention goes. It's not debatable. The most important thing in obstacle course racing is being able to run. That will always be the most important thing. Until until we're on some course that's 400 yards long and there's 30 obstacles in that 400 meters, 400 yards. It, it's <laughs> until we're to that point, which I don't think we're ever going to be to that point. The only clients that that don't that probably won't be seeing Richard Diaz are American Ninja Warrior clients. 
Yeah. All the rest of them need to go see. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and you know, and I, I make a very clear distinction that that's not my goal. I mean, I, I don't teach how to climb across the monkey bars or how to get up a rope quicker. Generally what happens is the people that come to me are already a pretty good handle on that whole process, you know. Mm-hmm. When Hunter came to me, and you know Hunter, he's a specimen. This guy's he's like a bull. I mean, his physical capacity to navigate these courses is just monstrous. Quite frankly, he was a really quick runner for a big guy. Mm-hmm. But his problem was is he'd blow up on the longer courses. And so yeah. that was our focus is to try to uh, improve upon his economy and his efficiency and then help him to run better. Sure. You know, I mean, certainly he helped me to uh, Uh, conjure up a training program that takes on, you know, some of those aspects of training. You know, for example, doing thrusters into a 30 second uh, uphill sprint. And, you know, we manage it with heart rate. And and, and I I like that kind of work. I think it's really good stuff for these obstacle racers. But at the end of the day, where my expertise comes into play is just the way they move in the energetics. Absolutely. Talk to me about these various events. And, and I've had conversations with other guys. I talked to Ryan Atkins about this. I've talked to, you know, Junyon Park about it. You know, you got so many different types of races. When you think in terms of the way Battle Frog approaches their events and the way um, Spartan approaches their events and, and some of the other, Toughest Mudder or Tough Mudder, they're different flavors. Uh, their approach to things is different. And I think that in itself is going to one day, I think, going to come to a head. I think it's going to have to meld into one type of uh, process. I, I don't know what your thoughts are about that. Well, there, there is a ton of variety out there, and I'll, I'll do my best to kind of walk through it. I, love, I personally love what I get from, from Spartan and Battlefrog. I love the feel of those courses. I love the challenge. They're actually going to feel pretty similar you know, to an elite athlete as far as how challenging they are. A little different structure. You know, if you fail an obstacle at Spartan, you've got to do your 30 burpees. If you're signed up in the elite heat and you're fighting for podium and money and you fail an obstacle, you got to stay there until you finish it or you're off the podium, you're out of the money. Um, they have a wristband they put on you. They'll cut that wristband off if you eventually cannot complete that obstacle. So a little different dynamic, but the courses themselves, they're they're challenging and fun and I, and I I like that. You take Warrior Dash and Warrior Dash World Championship. It, it, it's completely different. I call that the 5K with speed bumps. That's probably the only obstacle course uh, organization out there where an Olympic 5K female or female could step right onto that course and be a threat immediately. That same person would go to a Battle Frog or a Spartan, and there's going to be a while where they get their soul crushed. It's just different setup. Tough Mudder's been so successful because they, I'd personally love to see them have an elite, maybe one wave going out. But until they do that, you know, they've done a fantastic job. They cater to the masses that want to go out and have a good, challenging time. And then once a year, they provide you with World's Toughest Mudder if you want to go out and and do that. You know, and there's a few other big ones uh, out there. I think Savage Race is doing a great job. Rugged Maniac. And, you know, you saw OCR World Championships come up last year and kind of bring a lot of elite athletes together at one race i think that race probably somewhat felt like you know the athletes that were doing good in, in spartan and, and, and battle frog found themselves also doing good there it was a tough run course but it was also a tough upper body and strength training course if you went in there and you did not have good grip strength and grip strength endurance 
you were not going to do well at that course. And that's the same as at, at Spartan and um, and Battlefrog. So it you're, you're right. There is so much out there right now and so much variety for us to make a push, you know, like, like, like Jodison has always wanted to do you know, towards the, the Olympics. You know, there has to be some things have to be kind of channeled into more non-subjective type courses and type obstacles. And it, it does have to become a little more black and white. Now, that doesn't mean that our sport in its current status has to go away because the, the cool part of this that truly makes us different and where I think people go wrong sometimes and say, well, if you truly want to do this, you're going to have to do that. We are different. There is no sport that's ever occurred out there that can compare to us as far as 95% of our existence is not because of our elite athletes. It is because of the masses that sign up. They're 95% of the revenue. They're 95% of the bodies. They're doing the exact same thing we're doing. They're racing there with us. After we go out, they go out right behind us. So if you look at Battlefrog and Spartan, for example, you actually have what Tough Motor provides. You just have some elites going out in advance. You know, there's tons of Tough Motor people that love to do Spartan and Spartan people that love to do Tough Motor. And then they all like to do Battlefrog and some of the others. But those are the people that are, are driving our sport. Our sport could accomplish all kinds of things. Our sport could be in the Olympics tomorrow, and you could still have the exact same thing going on that's going on with, that's been so cool as far as it being a fitness movement. I think, yes, it is a sport, but more importantly than that, it is a fitness movement. And there are, I don't, they, you know, I think the jack o out there would, would agree with us that, yeah, this is a pretty cool fitness movement, man. There's, there's, there's millions of people moving that weren't moving before. I got to tell you, when, back in the day when triathlon first came about, and I was part of that. I mean, I sat in meetings where they were discussing how to standardize a sport and make an Olympic bid and, before there was any money, there was no such thing as a professional triathlete. The sport then, and quite frankly, for the most part today, is for the masses. The masses pay the bill. The elites don't pay the bills. That's the same thing with, with uh, marathon events as well. The 50,000 people that are running behind the yep. 15 Kenyans are who is paying the bills. But I think the difference in the reason why this becomes more of a fitness adventure than, say, triathlon had been, is because the thing that separated the wheat from the chafe was the ocean. Yeah. People were deathly afraid of trying to get out in the ocean and yeah. swim in a mile or so. And to this day, they still a lot of them are. Yeah. And so it, it became less of less pliable. Climbing underneath barbed wire and climbing over a fence or climbing a rope, for the most part, it seems it's not life-threatening, where I think the water scared a lot of people back in the day. I agree with you. I think that there's this is probably the most powerful fitness movement in history in the United States. And I think that the guys that are putting this on, it's going to probably eventually melt down to about three hitters. And again, I use the term separating the wheat from the chafe. You're going to see guys like Spartan. You're probably going to see Battlefrog and you know some of the other contenders it's going to be a, a battle for supremacy it's going to be who's yeah. the guys that are drawing in the top athletes that cause people to want to come and compete with them uh, who's going to have the most interesting courses who's going to have the price point that's interesting for the people to participate there's just a lot of stuff going on a lot of a lot of things shaking out it's going to be interesting yeah. to see how it all works out the overhead is the overhead is obviously dramatic it's harder now to break into the, the sport because we've the masses have seen 
you know, whether you, you love or hate Spartan, you, you love or hate Battle Frog or Tough Mudder, they put on a very good event. You go there, it's smooth, it's painless. Everything is, is set up pretty darn well, and it runs pretty smoothly. You know, the, the, the glass is half empty, people always have something negative to say, but you know, there's a reason why there's, like you said, there's 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 a handful, a small handful of of, of founders that are, that are doing well, and it's hard to, to break in now because everybody's seen. Man, I love that. Well, let's let's take the four right now that I think are a great experience that I'm that I'm used to doing them. Warrior Dash, Tough Mudder, Battle Frog, Spartan. It's a great experience from the time you log on to get signed up to the time you do your race, the time you're done. It's just a it's a great experience and. Um, so if you and I wanted to start one of these tomorrow, we're going to be highly scrutinized if we're not at that standard. You know what I mean? And three, oh, yeah. years, three years ago, that wasn't the case because all the big ones were fumbling around trying to get it right as well. So that's the unique dynamic. You know, Atlas just went under, announced that they were closing shop for the second time, and it's a lot tougher, a lot tougher for Atlas. I did not know that. Yeah, they just, you know, they had some pretty good backing, but they announced the last couple of days that they're they're closing shop and you hate to see that i i want to see i want to see everybody be be successful but um it take good management you know it's loosely it's loosely said that if you don't have four to six thousand people at your at your weekend event it takes that kind of numbers to balance the budget and uh to to make money you you know you need to hit those kind of numbers or better so you can't work up to it either yeah no that unless you've got a lot of a lot of money stuck back and willing to operate in the in the negative for a while so that's uh, that. <laughs> it's, it definitely does bring a unique dynamic to it. But the dynamic of trying to move your crew, your toys, and prepare to put on a, a world-class event is no easy feat. And these guys do, as you suggested, they pull it off. Not just now and then, they're pulling it off regular. I mean, I don't even know how many Spartan races there are anymore. Last I spoke to Joe, there was a hundred every year, and I think there's probably more than that now. Yeah, they what they're doing now, Richard, is they've got build crews, regional build crews. So it's logistically it's a lot more possible to, to make this thing happen and, and, and do it a little cheaper. And, you know, one weekend sometimes there's three different Spartan locations going off. Um so that that's been really cool to see. One of the crazy things I was talking with, with Spartan the other day about this. If you look at the the hotel industry, the flight, the you know, airline industry the industry, the restaurant industries for that matter, what the OCR community has plugged into the economy has been amazing when you look at it from that business standpoint. I mean, you're getting 6,000 people are going to Montana to race. There's a decent percentage of those that they're all coming in from out of town. Oh, yeah. There, there's some people driving in. They're still supporting the hotel industry, the restaurant industry. So there's millions of people racing year-round that just weren't doing that however many years ago. So that's kind of unique as well. So I was going to ask you, and, and I'm tra- I'm probably fast-tracking a little bit, but Absolutely. obviously there's various world championships, but the Spartan World Championships coming up in Lake Tahoe, who do you have as a favorite for that race? Um. Well, I, I train. Uh, <laughs> I, I train, know. I, I, I put train, you in a bad spot, I know. No, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be extremely honest with you. Now I, I wouldn't I wouldn't wouldn't treat you any other way. The uh, it's going to be it's a long time off, but I'm telling you right now, it's hard to, to put your money on anybody but Ron Atkins. Ron is uh, and, and the reason why I'm it, he drives me. 
you know, I train Matt, Isaiah, Glenn, and Miguel on the guy side. He's the type of guy that drives me. You know, he's the Michael Jordan of me, for me right now. So if I'm training a basketball guy, we're going to work harder so we can be that guy and beat that guy. It's uh, Ryan is a to me the the epitome of the of the hybrid right now where he's good at everything. Right, there right. there there aren't any weaknesses, and some people are working. They have some really good strengths, and they're working on their weaknesses. I know he's beatable. I know he's beatable. But we're going to have to work really hard and and stay dedicated. And I'll I'll be honest with. You know, I'm, I literally want to try to out-program what he's doing with, with, with my athletes and, and, and be smarter. Ryan's a phenomenal guy, too. You know, he's, he's a good guy, and he's, he's a hard-working guy, and, he's, and him and Album both, I'm sure, will be, uh, will, will be right there again, and, uh, and you're going to see 100% of everything that they've got. Um, there's, there's several guys that, that can give them a strong run for, for their money. Well, if, I, I, listen, just not to cut you off, but I have to tell you, he was my pick, too. Yeah, it's hard to pick. I mean, it's it's hard to pick against him right now. But like I said, it it, it really motivates me. On the girls' side, there's no way I would. Uh, you you never count out April. She's going to be on that podium again this year. She does. She she works her butt off. She's a grinder. Some athletes are just simply stronger mentally than others, and uh, you're not going to find uh, a more mentally strong athlete than than her. You know, whatever place she gets on any given day, that's the best place she could have gotten, if you know what I mean. There's a dark uh, horse in the women's side. Who's the dark horse? I know who the dark horse is. Um, I can tell you right now that I'm I'm confident that Claude and Corinna are going to be good this year. They, the, the podium was Claude, Corinna, and April, and I, I, I know all three of those are going to be good this year. I'm telling you right now, Rose is going to have an, a, a much better showing. She's going to be, she's going to be strong. There are... Uh, there's there's one other dark horse that um out there that I, I have a good feeling it's gonna do very well. Who's your who's your dark horse? Orla. Orla? Yeah, Orla's Orla's racing good. You know, she's training at altitude. She's uh she's she's really becoming very well rounded. You know, just about any any race that she tows the start line at is uh you know, she's she's a threat, no matter who's in the in the lineup. It's so thick on the on the girl side. Uh and back on the guy's side you can't count out Cody. Cody Moat is no, no. I mean, could beat anybody on any given day. It, it's so fun. This is so fun. And uh, you look at you look at Matt Novakovic from his 2013 had a 10-11 minute lead, and but just was extremely inexperienced in the sport. You know, he had raced Virginia, which was, which was uh, didn't take anywhere near as long. Um, the guy's still got climbing legs that 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 are better than anybody. He can still outclimb anybody in the sport. Uh, Isaiah is becoming such a better runner. You know, when I when I started working with Isaiah, he was about a 19-minute 5K guy and, and and still doing well, which was so amazing. He he's becoming a, a really good runner. You know, he's he's 175, 80 pounds. You know, you're not you're not going to be a you're not going to be a 14-minute 5K guy like that. But he's becoming a very very strong runner. You're not going to go out there. I don't care what course it is. You can't go out there and really gap him. Um, and he's obviously in a very strong obstacle and when it comes to obstacles he's so strong and i'm telling you right now you better watch out for my other two guys glenn and miguel glenn is a glenn's a beast and miguel you better put him in your dark horse category this year for just um just doing better than anybody ever expected uh, him to do you're going to get to see him this weekend at your camp and yeah. uh, he's uh I'm, I'm super pumped that he's getting to see you because he's uh he's a very well-rounded athlete he's one of those cool guys that he's the anomaly that will be doing a death race or 
Fuego in Nicaragua and the next weekend doing a, a stadium sprint. He really can bookend the sport like most athletes can't as far as can step into a, a weight room and, and, and is a really strong, powerful guy, uh, but then go do some 24-hour endurance race. Like, you know, he was on Hunter's team that they won the World's Toughest sure, Mudder last sure. year. So he's a, you're going to get your hands on a, on a really neat athlete in, in, in Miguel this, uh, this weekend. So I'm, I'm glad he's coming to see you. Well, we're going to get his skill sets up a little bit. We all have room to improve, right? Oh, yeah. I can't wait till I get to come out and see you, man. I'm excited yeah. about that. At 43, I know I've got something you can find. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's still pretty young. You're still okay. Oh, I'm, a, I'm young. 50 hits 40, hard. 50, 60. Pain, Richard. Yeah, they say 60 is the new 40, but I, I don't know if I agree with them anymore. I'm going to have to get you to do a race with us, even if we just go out and have fun with it and take yeah. our time, buddy. Yeah, i I got to do something. I've, I've, <laughs> I've gotten to be too comfortable in my skin these days. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have to tell you, in all this conversation about who who's who and who can do it, who can't do it, I haven't said anything about Hunter. I, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't count Hunter out. Uh, he's yeah. been kind of off off the uh, radar a little bit lately, but um, the guy's strong. For a big guy, he's strong and he can run. You know, he just had been having problems with energy late in event, but uh, I think if he does the right things leading into this event, and we've talked about it, and you know, he fought me a little bit. I think he just had a come to Jesus meeting recently with his little uh, stint in Chile. So I, I think if if everything goes well, he's going to get his uh, his run back on and spend some time there, and and it's going to make a big difference for him. What he did at World Champions last year that was pretty amazing. Him and Isaiah both is they you know they finished fifth and sixth at the Beast. I mean, just a couple hours later, they had the Spartan Short Course, and Hunter wrecked that course like a machine. And um, when you get guys that are that size and have that kind of strength that become really proficient runners, you you literally have the dictionary, you know, Webster's definition of the perfect obstacle course racer. So I don't think there's anybody in the sport, including Atkins and Alvin, all of them, that are going to ever say that, uh, oh, there's Hunter over there. I'm, I'm, he's not going to be able to stick with me today. This is, uh, as, see, that's the, this is something I mentioned on a recent podcast. Is that the? I think the ones that, and you, you tell me if you tell me what you think about this. This is something that I've kind of had up my sleeve for a while that I just strongly believe. But if I'm a, let's say I'm a fourteen fifty fifteen flat five k guy, and I'm you know I'm winning most of my races, come from a strong running background, winning most of my races, and I've got these guys like Hunter and Isaiah finishing right behind me in every race they're right there and they're several minutes away from me in a road race 5k or 10k several minutes that's drastically large amounts of time and they're right there who do you think is more whose gears are turning about oh my gosh man so when you see the guys like hunter and isaiah and others slowly becoming better runners it's kind of like um kind of like the, the let's take the tight end in the nfl all of a sudden, you see these guys that used to be offensive linemen. They're slowly grooming themselves to be tight ends. So now I got the guy that's six foot seven, two hundred seventy-five pounds playing tight end, and and is athletic. It's the same thing when you take uh, 
when you see Hunter and Isaiah and those kind of those type of body frames running fifteen minute five Ks, that's scary. Yeah. That's that's scary good in our sport. And that's that means you can step onto any course except for maybe Warrior Dash and you are fighting for the podium every single time. Well, a good example of what you're saying is guys like Max King. You know, here's a guy that popped into the sport, was a tremendous runner, and he was suffering issues with grip strength, anything that had to do with heavy carrying. He just didn't have the strength for it, and it just just played havoc on his ability to to win some of this stuff. Yeah, it backs up up what you and I talked about, that if if you follow Max King last year, he was exactly what we would have expected. I would have completely expected nobody to beat him at Warrior Dash World Championship because I call it, it, it it's speed bumps. It's a 5K with speed bumps. And he, he, you know, the obstacles are a little tough, but he, he crushed everybody. And I think he was 11th or 12th at Spartan World Championships. And that's how it should have been. That was actually, I think he did really well at Spartan World Championships. You know, I was expecting 15th to 20th. And so I think that's a great finish for him. So, but He's in the same category as Isaiah and a Hunter, those types on the opposite end of the spectrum. As he spends more time focusing on obstacle course racing, if he does, he becomes more and more scary. It's like a Yatsko, phenomenal D1 runner. You know, he just slowly became more and more efficient at obstacles. And, man, he's a force. He's a podium force every single race he enters as well. So it, that's this kind of conversation is just what makes it so cool. But, yeah. you know, there's 10 guys in the, in the lineup. You're like, who the heck's going to win today? <laughs> you know? Well, I think that the key in this sport is you have to do the thing you fear the most because a lot of these athletes, they want to build on their strength yes, and sir. they tend to avoid where their weaknesses are. You know, you've got guys that are really strong. They hate to run. I mean, literally, they hate to run. And guys that are fast, they I mean, you know, Hunter runs in his, his prime, he's a 430 miler. Yeah. But if you get him out past five miles, he's like, oh, God. For him to do an endurance run, it's just like pulling his teeth. Ryan uh, Atkins, for example, he knows this. He, he, he laughs about the idea that a lot of these guys that he's competing with, his upper hand is he's been putting in a solid 60-mile trail run week for the past 10 years, this is not new ground for him. He's not yeah. like getting up to game for this event. He, he's, he's been doing this forever. He just happened to find a sport that worked really well with his practices. His aerobic uh, running base foundation is just, um, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. And take someone like Atkins and you, five miles into a course, you throw a tough obstacle at them and you have that type of aerobic conditioning you know he's able to, and and you look at Ryan. He's not a small guy. He's a he's very well built for the sport. He's he's a stocky, strong guy. Good good muscle definition, and you know so he does a long barbed wire crawl or or a tough sandbag obstacle or something like that, and or a tough upper body obstacle. And with, with that kind of running, uh, you know, aerobic foundation, he recovers quickly and he gets back into a strong pace. You know, a strong uh, tempo pace. He's hitting a hard tempo right after that obstacle, and that creates gaps when when certain other when some people have to kind of re- regain their composure after they just hammered themselves. I, I think Ron is really good at think if you looked looked at his heart rate. I've never done this, but my gut tells me if you looked at his heart rate over a over a long battle frog or a Spartan course, there's not it's not going to look like a roller coaster. We had a chance to get together uh, on the Spartan cruise, and the evening 
You know, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna try to keep from getting too colorful about this, but the evening got the better of him, and he yeah. missed his appointment with me that following morning. <laughs> so he was in. Hey, there was probably a lot of people that would have missed their meeting. <laughs> there was a lot of people that missed their meeting. I actually, Orla was one of the only few that showed up, and I tease her about the the vodka I had to try to pump out of my machine for the last week. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I would have loved to get get my hands on him to find out where he's at. I'll tell you what, though, uh, I look at the recovery, and I think this is really something that these guys really need to focus on, and they don't. Is aside from just getting the work done. Looking at the cost of the work and looking at what it's going to take to recover to produce the work again. Because there's opportunity that exists, and the opportunity takes time to develop. So, for example, when I have these guys do interval repeats, uphills, and what have you, it's all governed by recovery. It has very little to do with how quickly they're able to get up or how intense they're able to produce the work. I govern it by the amount of recovery it takes to get back in the game. And then with time, as you start to allow this recovery, you could start shoring it up again. And then eventually what ends up happening is you, you're just impervious to fatigue. And that, that's one thing that I found with Hunter that he's very good at. You know, I'll throw him up a really steep, inclined, craggy uh, hill after doing 30 seconds worth of thrusters with 35-pound dumbbells. And by the time he gets back down to me, his heart rate's down to 120 beats per minute. And that was our goal. So I'm saying, you know, guess what? You don't get to recover. You're already recovered. Go back up there. Yeah, when we, when we had him in the lab, and, and you probably found some of the same things, he was a little concerned. You know, his heart rate was, he was hammering a great pace, and his heart rate wasn't real high. And his, uh, you know, Dr. Ivy said, Hunter, you've got a big heart. You have a big, you have a big heart. And he was like, what exactly does that mean? And Dr. Ivy was explaining to him, you know, just some of the cool exercise physiology things that go on you know he's on the treadmill and isaiah's on the treadmill and you're really getting two different types of 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 numbers it's just different genetics and they and, and they had different numbers but both of them are so similar in what you said you can throw them on something real hard and they'll get that real you know close to max heart rate and then you snap your fingers and they are back to 120 so that's one of the reasons you see them being able to compete with these guys that that are faster runners because they don't have the ability to do that. One, maybe genetics. Two, in large part, is because they they haven't been getting the type of adaptation training needed to 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 acclimate to obstacle course racing. Yeah, that's, that's what makes it fun. Is that you know we're we're essentially you and I are pioneers in the pro. We're the lydiards of this whole sport to try to develop the the scheme that is going to be most efficient in developing champions. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. I. I I'd love, you know, I, I, I won't lie. There's a little bit of me that, that wants to have some type of legacy in the sport, just like you. And uh, there's a lot of people creating some pretty cool legacies uh, in the sport. And it's kind of like you back in the '80s. There was people doing a triathlon, and it's it's fun. It's so fun to still be alive and vigorous during these times when the sport is is growing. Because ultimately, it will be all of us. The founders have done everything they needed to do to to give it to us, and it's our job to foster foster the sport and uh and, and keep it rolling it takes it takes the masses to to really keep it uh to going if we can prevent a few, few people from getting injured get more people into the sport safely you know we're all doing our part and um it's it is such a i mean i pinch myself every day i was like are you kidding me this is <laughs> way too cool yeah 
Well, I got to tell you, I, I'm a bit of a mercenary. I mean, I, I, I love this sport, and it's been really fresh for me to get involved in it and, and be able to work with such great athletes. It's a lot of fun. Um, I have other things I do, and I, right on, I, like you, I, you know, some of my best clients are people that need me rather than, you know, world-class athletes, people that really are just trying to get through life without being ill and, you know, being upright and trying to enjoy themselves and, and staying mobile. I, I spend a lot of time with that kind of people. No, and that's that's why I created YanceyCamp.com was so I had I had eight athletes that I was training, and and I have a I have a handful of others that I train through Google Calendar, turnkey. I do everything for them, and as you know, you can only take on so many because you don't want to dilute what you're able to provide to those few. And I got to the point where I had I had other people reaching out to me, and I said, well, let me let me create something to where I can let people out there kind of partner and team with the Rose, Glenn, Matt, Isaiah, April, Miguel, Laura, Becca. They can team with one of these athletes and have a vision behind the scenes to see what they're doing and say, okay, here's here's some of the stuff they're doing. Here's why I'm doing it. You know, here's why I have them run 800 meters, do these type of movements, and then go back to doing some running. And so let's – I'm going to show that to you. Here's a real easy way way to scale that way down, and and where you're doing maybe a quarter of the time, um, and you're slowly working up to this. So you're not just only running; you're working in some specific strength training that's going to help you with what you know. We've seen out on the course, we've seen the obstacles. Let's do this type of strength training, help prevent injury, and help you become a little faster if if, if you stick with the program consistently. So it it was a way to reach more people. And for them to kind of partner with some of their, for lack of better terms, they're kind of heroes of the sport, the people that they shake hands with on race day and they get to see on the podiums and, and, and that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it wasn't really designed to be a training program, but you do have the ability to start plugging their stuff in at a, at a scalable fashion. So you can, so you are kind of partnering with them. Um, so that was kind of my, that was kind of the reason for, for, for getting that going. Well, I think it's interesting. I think it's a really interesting proposition, and I, I, do, I do agree with you. I think that people emulate their heroes. You know, they've got the guy or the girl that they want to be like or be able to compete like, and, you know, having a taste of what they're doing is entertaining. It's, it's It gives you something to shoot for. It gives you something to get a leg up on. I, I think it's a great idea. Very cool. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, let's see now. So world's toughest mutter. Where is that this year? That's going to be in Vegas again, so it's close to you. Yeah. November 14th, out in about 10 miles out, out of Vegas. You know, huge, huge props to, to Tough Monday. That It is such – when I did it last year, it was my first year to do it, actually. It had been on my bucket list for a while. I, I kind of knock off a couple bucket list items every year. I've uh, done Joe Decker events. Phenomenal guy. He lives out by you. Um, death race, all that kind of stuff. I wanted to do World's Toughest Mudder, and after I finished that race, Richard, I said, as long as I'm physically able to do it, I will be doing World's Toughest Mudder. It's um, it's a phenomenal mental and physical test, but it's it, it's kind of set up unique. You don't you don't have to be some crazy elite athlete to do it either. It's it's hey, I'm gonna give you 24 hours. There's a five lap five mile course. You go see how many laps you can do. <laughs> Yeah. The the mental aspect that's thrown in that kind of trumps all the others. Let's take Death Race for example. Isaiah and I went seventy two hours 
freaking 80 plus miles, no sleep, 72 hours. Well, they get you 30 miles away from base camp. I'm not going to stop even if I want to stop. What am I going to do? Sit down here in the woods? <laughs> I, I, I got to make, I got to get my buck, my butt back to base camp. Anyway, so you went through the mental rigors of that. It was a phenomenally challenging course. What makes World's Toughest Mudder so unique mentally is every hour or so, every one to two hours, you're coming right back to base camp. The tent's right there. Your you car, your crew's right there. You can. It's so easy to call it quits. So every single time you come around, you got to suck it up and get your butt back out on course. And that makes for, you think going in that physically that's going to be kind of cool, but there's almost a part of you that would rather be 50 miles away, so you just, you got to suck it up and turn around and come back. But it's that's, not that that's way. That's a really so. interesting observation. I had never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. If you get back and you, you see your friends and you see the blanket and you see the food that's and you right. see the cot. That's exactly right. So your crew member, actually your crew members, I have my my, my chiropractor. He's, he's This guy takes good care of me anyway. He keeps me in good alignment. But he was my crew last year. So... I told him, I said, your number one job, unless I'm just physically a disaster, is is to get my butt back out on the course if I'm kind of wavering. If I show any signs of wavering, you force my butt back out there on the course. So you don't necessarily want to have your wife there or your grandma or somebody that's going to really be worried about you. You want somebody that's going to be able to tell you to get your freaking butt back out on course. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, that's you know, I guess I'd make a great uh, crew guy because, you know, I, I'm not I'm not very compassionate, you know. <laughs> you, you're gonna go back out there for me. Same thing with uh, with the with the Spartan Ultra Beast. I've done that three years in a row. So you basically complete the you complete the World Championship Beast Course, and then you have to, you come to your bin. Your bin's there right at the home base, and that's where 50 percent of the people quit because they're right there by their car. And you you got to go out and do one more loop of that beast course again, and uh, that's a game changer mentally as well. So a lot of the people I train that that have had success with that is, you know, it's like okay, you get two minutes, change your shoes, change your socks, get something to eat, and get your butt back out on that course, and you, you your, your percentage chance of, of of finishing that ultra beast just rise exponentially because you once you get a couple miles into that next lap, you just start to get in the groove again. Um, so that's a, uh, the, the altar beast is, is a very similar type, crazy intense effort um, that Spartan puts on every year after the world championships. Wow. wow. Well, I don't know. I, I think I like myself to be the fly on the wall. <laughs> We're going to get you out the world's toughest, buddy. Yeah. Well, I'm I think I, I, I'd like to come out possibly crew. I'll, I'll talk to Hunter and see what his plans are. He, he mentioned it to me. Um, I don't know. I just uh, I could see where they may wish that I didn't come. No, no, no. We want we would want you there. Last year we set up our tent side by side, and uh, we we want somebody like you to freaking to get our butts back out there. Keep you in one piece. Yeah. Well, this has been fun, Yancey. Um, I'm looking forward to getting a chance of finally meeting you, and uh, hopefully, if you get out this way, uh, we could do a little work together and kind of. See whether we can mind melt a bit. Absolutely, I've, I'm going to try to make the June camp, and where you and I can sit down and talk shop, and, and maybe get away to where the, the Yancey camp clients 
could could look at uh, working in your 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 online uh, gate analysis type stuff and the fact that you do that where you don't have to actually meet the person in person is uh, really is a game changer for for what I'm doing with the anti camp. So um, um, it, it would it would take what I'm doing one more step farther, which I really like that because I know no matter what, I, as I have people slowly starting to build their aerobic running base, that um, their chances of, of bringing on those little nagging injuries diminishes greatly. Well, there's it's a it's a kind of a one-two punch. I tell people all the time that what I do really is I work on energetics and efficiency. We look at ways to improve the way we move, and we give a lot of concern towards the cost of doing the work. And because I've got 20 years in doing clinical diagnostics on athletes, writing heart rate programs is, is really what, what I do. And they, I, I just came to the biomechanics of it because I started to realize that there was such a deficit in that process. You know, if you run like crap, it costs too much. Yeah. Yancey, tell the folks how to find you. Um, you can find me through uh, yanceycamp.com. That's probably the best way if you're if you're interested in reaching out to me in any kind of OCR type way. You can also check us out at uh, sculpturetexas.com. That's a lot of the stuff that I do locally. Um, my my wife and I is nutrition and, and, and fitness practice. So yanceycamp yanceycamp.com or sculpturetexas.com. Either way is uh, would work perfect. I will see you in June, my friend. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.